to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. And welcome back to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and we like to talk about all things related to emergency management, business continuity, crisis management, and everything that's associated and can fall, could possibly fall within those parameters, which can be a lot of stuff. Um, usually at the end of the show, I ask for topics, but uh, just in case, I'm going to bring it up at the front of the show uh, this week. If there are topics you want us to bring up or maybe get a hold of someone to speak about a topic or even yourself be a guest on the show, please feel free. Send me an email at info at stone-road.com and let's touch base and see if we can get you on the show or find someone who can talk about the subject you want. This show is for you after all. So, you know, if there's anything that you want to talk about, please let me know. Today, I'm going to talk about one of the foundations of business continuity management and disaster plans, uh, the business impact analysis. Now, I I come from the background that if you have a solid foundation in your, your BIA, then you will be able to utilize that information to help build and test and maintain other components of your BCM program. With the BIA today, I'm not going to go through how we actually do a BIA. I'm going to identify some of the slips and trips and some of the things that can go wrong when doing a BIA. I've been through many myself, as I'm sure many of uh Uh, you have as well, and sometimes they're not the easiest things to get through. You know, you can have uh, 20 workshops that you have to do or sending out dozens of email requests or distributing, you know, uh, questionnaires of some sort, and it can get uh, quite overwhelming sometimes and can be, you know, confusing for, for others, especially those that are receiving the information. Sometimes they can get things and not be, you know, uh, tuned in with what it is you're seeking, what you need from them. So we're going to go over some of the uh, items that can uh, trip up a BIA uh, project. And um, this, uh, I wrote about this actually in one of my books, The Business Impact Analysis, Building the Foundations for a Strong Business Continuity Program. And in the appendices, I have a whole bunch of uh, items that can, uh, you know, trip us up you know, in, in uh, doing BIAs. And today I'm just going to go over a couple of those uh, to give you that benefit. And uh, hopefully you can identify, you know, maybe one one project that you were doing you know, with relation to BIAs, why it didn't work out or why you ran into problems or why someone else was pushing back on things. So we'll, we're going to go through that today. So let's start. I have about 10 or 11 um uh, but we'll just we'll just go through and see where we get. So our first one, let's uh, talk about that, and it's a big one: management support. You know, we sit there and we give our business case as to why we need a business continuity management program. You know, we give examples. You know, tsunamis. Uh, 
you know, local floods, you know, earthquakes, things that are in the headlines, things that are happening to our competitors, or maybe even things that have happened to our own organization. You know, as this is why we need to either start a BCM program or take what we have to a new and better and stronger level. And you may get support for that. Yeah, we need that. However, what gets forgotten is to be able to get that program in place, management aren't aware of the steps to get there. And we know, you know, risk analysis and, you know, BIAs, you know, and going through and developing contingency strategies, whether they be with third-party vendors or, or whatever the case may be, they don't understand those steps that you have to go through in one form or another to get to that end state. They may, in their minds, be supporting that end state, and they don't have a, a clear understanding of how you get there. So when you come up maybe, let's say, a couple of weeks later or a month later, and you're reaching out to all these uh, department heads and leads asking for information, you're going to get pushback because their leaders, you know, their, their division leads, their, their, maybe their C-level representative has no idea what the heck it is you're asking. What are you talking about this BIA thing? I thought you were doing a, a business continuity or disaster recovery program. So you need to make sure that everyone understands that to get there, you go through all these steps. You know, it's like starting at the bottom of a staircase. To get to the top, you've got all these steps to get there. So they need to understand what some of those steps are. Maybe not on the detail level that you do, but they need to understand what a BIA is going to give them and why they need to do that. That way they can support you and help communicate that message down to their managers and, you know, and uh, other people that report to them to say, this is what's coming. You know, we support this on, on our C-level, executive level. So make sure that you explain some of that so that you get the ma- the proper management support. You may have the support for the end program, but you may not have support for all those multiple steps to get there because they're not clear on it. The next one, and I'm not going in any particular order here because I, I, I don't want to map out the whole process for you. You know, um, that I would like to do on another show. So I'm going to jump around a little bit on this. The next one, number two, uh, no timely follow-up on BIA results. Now, I've been in a situation uh, where, uh, and this is going back many, many, many years, where I waited to publish the results of individual BIAs until I'd held all the workshops. Okay, that was great. I had all the findings in front of me, and you know, I could go through everybody's responses and uh, populate, you know, what I needed to populate, you know, tracking sheets or Excel files that tracked how many resources we needed, how many desks, what applications, etc. But that first workshop, by the time they saw what they had responded in, in paper, you know, attached in an email, they kind of couldn't remember some of the things they had said. So with timely results, what we need to make sure we do is, and I follow this in my program and project management uh, career as well, that good practice is to have action items and minutes and things like that with distributed within 48 hours, two business days, so that it's fresh in people's minds. You know, when you're going through the, the findings, uh, potentially a month, a month and a half later after you've done 20 workshops, you know, 
or questionnaires or however you're you're doing that, uh, you will may not remember that, oh, I needed to follow up with so-and-so about, you know, a dependency. You know, there there's nothing they identified, no processes, no documentation, no files, no nothing coming into their department. Well, you might want to know if that's true. You know, very few departments are kind of standalone. You know, they're all interdependent with others and they all pass different files and data uh, you know, amongst each other to create various reports and uh, you know, help with decision making and all kinds of other things that your organization does. So your results have to be timely. If you have a workshop on Monday, by the end of day Wednesday, you want to have that group's findings back to them. That way it's fresh in their mind and it's still fresh in your mind. Because as you go through their results and you clean up, you know, maybe some of the wording that they input or if you're sitting there face to face, which I'll, I'll get to in a, a moment as well, you know, some of your own typing is done in short form. And if you're like me, if nobody would ever understand anything that I typed, you know, when I'm doing interviews or, or taking notes, you know, I always have to go back to them after the fact. But when you're going through there, you may identify, oh, I should have asked this question or I don't think I got a satisfactory answer about this one. Or they could have said, you know what, we're not sure about that. We'll get back to you. Well, all that information you want to make sure is captured so that when you send the information you do have for them to validate, then you want them to answer your questions. You know, you, you said you'd follow up on this. You said you'd do this or please clarify what this meant or I wasn't clear on what this meant. Can I assume this? Can I assume that? You know, all those things within two days. And that comes down to how you schedule yourself too. You know, you've got to make sure that you are focused. You're, you're, you've got your schedule up to date and clear so that you can do these kind of things. Because if the BIA is the foundation of all B. CM programs or disaster recovery programs, whatever you want to call it. If you make a, a mistake here or miss something, don't ask a question, forget to ask a question. This will carry through right until you have a test. And when you get to that test and someone, a user is expecting to validate that a file is coming in, they're not going to get that file. And they're going to say something doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is because it was never identified and clarified up front because people forgot. You know, and part two of timely results as well is not just getting the agreement and the completion at the, you know, the user level or whoever was uh, providing you the responses to the, the BIA. You know, you maybe have been speaking to the uh, director of finance as an example, and you've got all the finance information, you, you know, they, they filled everything out. Fantastic. You've got to make sure they accept what they've said. You know, you, they accept their findings. Yes, this is, you know, almost like standing up in courts, you know, with your hand up, you know, I do swear, you know, the, all this information is true to my knowledge. Part two of that is now that that level has been agreed to, all those findings are summarized, put together in a package and up a level to the C-level to present to, you know, the, the vice presidents and the, the chief executive officers and saying, this is what our organization says is you know, uh, important to us. This is what we need, you know, and they need to review those information, not the detailed answers. You know, I'm not saying you send them, you know, hundreds of pages of, you know, uh, yes and no uh, responses, you know, to, to qu multiple questions, but they're going to need to know this is what our, our uh, overall recovery time objective is. This is what it stands at. 
these are the resources we need. This is what's key, you know, our key processes, and this is when we need to have them up and running. And they need to accept that too. And they may push back. And I have been in a situation where that has occurred. I sat with a, uh, a um, vice president in finance, uh, funny enough, I keep going back to finance, in a government agency here in Ontario. And I showed him the results. Once all the, the managers and directors had approved you know, everything within their area and we put the findings together, it was, okay, now to take this up a level, I sat with him before we went to um, anyone uh, else in the, on the executive level. And he looked at the processes and he went through and not a word of a lie, he said, and I quote, this is embarrassing. And when I questioned him, I said, well, what do you mean embarrassing? For a, se- you know, for a second, I thought, oh, my God, I've done a bad job. <laughs> and I've been doing this for years, you know, hundreds of BIAs. And he, he said there was a disconnect between what executives expected, you know, as key processes to focus on within, you know, the first 12 hours, 24 hours, with what all these division leads, uh, you know, and directors wanted so we went back you know we had to go back and reprioritize which was a good thing because then it got everyone on the same page as to what the organization needed to focus on when there was a major business interruption so the results have to be timely and on both sides you know they, they you've got to make sure that executive are getting them in good time if you're saying you're doing a bia because hopefully you will have explained that you will be doing that they understand your timelines and the results have to go back to the responders who are responding to your questionnaires or your interview or your online um, application you know, that you're using or whichever method you're using. You want to make sure you get back to them in time because uh, that's key. You know, when, when this, this uh, finance uh, vice president brought this up, that was part of his update to his, uh, the rest of his executive team was, hey, guys, we've got a disconnect, you know, and they went back and started uh, reviewing. I wasn't a part of it, but they went reviewing uh, with how they're communicating on an executive level to those that report to them and what they need to report because they realized if a disaster happened, they weren't going to make any of their expectations. They wouldn't have met their own you know, that uh, process A, B, and C would be done, and they weren't going to meet the any expectations of the directors or management or the staff, you know, who completed these BIAs. So it's very timely to make sure that you get focus, you know, because if you let time uh, go, too much time go by, people aren't going to remember what they told you. And you don't want that to happen. The next one is no agreement on scope. Scope, uh, just like in project management, you know, outlines what it is you're going to do. You know, it can be, it can run from the entire organization. But be careful of that because some people will interpret the entire organization as to every country, every facility, you know, every province, every state, wherever you are. You know, it could be all of that. However, your scope may only be reflected to, you know, we're only going to take care of um, the sites that are in the state of Texas, or we're only going to take care of the, the sites in the city of Toronto, you know, or London, UK, or you know, uh, Beijing, China, whatever the case may be. 
You know, so make sure you get a defined scope. And sometimes you may only, and I have seen this happen, you may only be doing a BIA for a specific area. You know, you could have a huge, depending what you do, a huge customer service area, just massive, you know, all over the place. And that could be the, the focus of your BIA. You know, and you're not going to the finance people. You're not going to the sales. Uh, you're not going to, uh, you know, the IT groups or, uh, you know, customer support, uh, you know, any any other department within your organization. It could just be the call center, you know, because it's so huge. So make sure you get a defined scope as to who it is you are going to be talking to and who you're not going to be talking to. Because one thing that will happen is the larger the scope, the longer it's going to take to get done, especially if you've got multiple, multiple uh, countries and you know, uh, jurisdictions all over the place. Well, that's going to take some time, coordination, potentially some travel. You know, you're going to need the right uh, tools to be able to do that. You know, if you've got um, uh, 10 sites spread throughout uh, Canada and the United States and uh, United Kingdom, as an example, travel may not be possible. You know, it might you you might want to do it, of course, but it may not be possible because you can only do one site at a time. That could drag out your timelines. So def define your scope and say, we're only going to focus on these 10 sites, which is fine. But then you've got to make sure you've got the right tool to be able to do that. You know, and that would be a part of your scope. So make sure that when you do have your, your scope, you define exactly what level of scope you're going to. You know, we're only going we're only going to look at everything up into uh, things within Canada, only uh, sites within um, United States, only sites within Australia, you know, or we're only going to look at finance or we're only going to look at you know, customer service. So define that scope and then you make the proper procedures in the background to support that scope and any change in scope. Well, make sure you understand what that impact is. Timelines could be moving out. You may need additional resources. You know, your method that you're using at the time, you know, an email questionnaire, as example, may not be suitable, you know, um, if you're going to other countries, you know, where there is obviously a significant language barrier, you know, um, where translation is required, you know, in different meanings of words. So defining the scope can actually have a very big impact on what you're doing. So make sure you define that ahead of time. You know, and may, make sure that you understand what it is you're going to be doing so that the people who are going to be part of this, who have been assigned to be a part of this, also understand what their level of scope is, that they're only answering for their location. You know, if they have a, a location in, you know, Auckland, New Zealand, they're only talking about Auckland, New Zealand. They're not giving you responses that incorporate things in Australia or Malaysia or South Africa, you know, all your other locations. No, you're just talking about Auckland, New Zealand, and the, all the questions being asked reflect what is happening in that location. So clearly define your scope. And on that note, we're going to take our first break, and we will be right back with Preparing for the Unexpected. And today we're talking about the trips and slips and traps and falls of the business impact analysis process. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com What makes a great leader? Most have a vision. 
one that starts beyond the resources available and continues from that point into developing a solid plan, organization, and company. Leadership issues are discussed each week on VoltCast, illuminating leadership with host Jeff Smith. Jeff has years of experience as a leader and executive coach, and his guests will bring you information that can help a team of any size. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Today, we're talking about the trips and slips and traps of the business impact analysis process, and I'm uh, taking some information from the uh, book that I have, Building uh, Strong Foundations, uh, about the BIA. So we're talking today of hopefully uh, helping everyone you know, why understand why sometimes their BIA process may not be coming uh, as effective as they want it to be. And some of these things that I mentioned uh, don't just relate to BIAs. You know, they relate to other components within the BCM program as well. When you're trying to create, you know, crisis management plans or, you know, get information about building your disaster recovery teams, some of this information is basically the same. You know, communications and making an organization, you know, they, they carry over into to everything, like project management, which, again, I stress, you know, if you are in the disaster industry, you know, business continuity, you, know, you are doing these uh, kind of BIAs, get some project management uh, experience, you know, take a course and understand it because it will help you. So back to the BIA questionnaires and why we sometimes have some problems. The next thing I, I'm going to combine a little bit of two here because they tend to flow back and forth is one, the poor questionnaires, and that's related to the next point, because there's a lack of preparation, you know. I've seen questionnaires where the the questions are very, how do you say it, loosey goosey. 
You know, they're not very clear. They're not direct. I tend to use an approach where I ask the first question and it's a closed-ended question. Yes or no? If it's yes, then we move to, uh, you know, follow-up questions to now flush out the detail. What supports the, a yes answer? You know, if it's no, well, we skip that question. You know, and all the following questions that uh, com- that relate to that section, and we go to the next one. And again, you know, um, it's the, the next section will start with a closed-end question, yes or no. There are a lot of times, you know, where you have questions where people are just jumping all over the place. You know, there there is no logical flow or logical uh, partitions within a questionnaire. You know, you're talking about your critical uh, processes, which I'm going to get to in a minute. You know, you're talking about the processes and what you need to to uh, you need by resources, by computers, desks, you know, um, dependencies, you know, internal and external, what your your department uh, receives, you know, from external parties and other internal uh, departments, and what your department sends out, you know, to external parties or other internal uh, departments, that gets missed. You know, it, it just becomes, what's your dependencies? Well, you could end up with a whole list, but you have no idea where it's coming from or where it's going. So put some thought and preparation behind some of these questions to understand, do you have internal department dependencies? Anything that's coming from within, you know, the organization? Yes or no? You know, and the answer, and if it's yes, so, you know, you continue on questions. If it's no, you skip it and move on. That'll help you later on to identify critical business process flows. Um, because everyone, if you ask them, is going to say they <laughs> are critical. You know, not too often will you come across somebody who'll say, well, you know, no, we're not important, you know, uh, you know, because you know what happens when someone says they're not important, you know, it ends up kind of being blended in with some other processes and people are, are gone or the dependency gets, uh, sorry, the department gets closed. So not a lot of people want to admit to that. So you want to make sure you're asking very clear questions within a section, you know, all dependencies, you know, your resources, you know, your people, your applications, you know, and be careful when you ask about some of these dependencies. When uh, I've seen it happen, when you ask a user, you know, about technology they have no idea about what systems are going on in the background. You know, they may only use the Word and Excel and PowerPoint, as an example, and email. Well, that's fine. You ask an IT person, and they may have those, plus a whole list of servers and other applications, you know, that, uh, oh, this application is a gateway to, to this. You know, it's used for that. You know, that users may not know. So be careful when you're, what you're asking with whom you're asking to, you know, sometimes it's not applicable to everybody. And so be aware of that. And your workshops, you know, the, the, the lack of preparation, you've got to prepare how you're going to ask these questions. You know, once you've got a good questionnaire in place, you know, um, and it can be, you know, 150 questions, but keep in mind too, if you, you get to a section and the first response is no, that has nothing to do with us. We don't do that you might be able to skip six or seven questions. I've rarely ever seen where an entire questionnaire is applicable to everyone. You know, there's always a section or two that people just, the answer is no, and they don't have to respond to it because it really not applies to them. So make sure your questionnaires are very detailed. 
as to to what you need, of course, you know, defined on your scope by your scope. And once you have that, determine how you're going to present this. You may have an online application. You may have an email questionnaire. You may want to use an Excel file that you get everyone to fill in. You may want to do uh, a, um, and my, my personal preference, I'm not saying that everyone needs to do this, it's just my personal preference. I like to have everything, you know, whether it be in an Excel file or an online application, but I do like to meet people face-to-face because it helps answer questions that they have and it helps clears up any uh, discrepancies in definition that people have. You know, one word or the way a question is answered could be defined one way by, you know, um, person in finance, and that can be interpreted as something completely different by a person in marketing. Meeting them face-to-face, you can clear that up right away. Otherwise, you're going to get results with two different definitions. You know, that with responses, you're going to know what you meant when you asked that question, but the people who received that didn't know what you meant and gave back answers that to you, well, this doesn't make sense. You know, so make sure you're very clear on what way you're going to do that. You know, what way you're going to present these questionnaires to people, how you're going to do it, you know, what method are you going to use? Uh, and there's pros and cons to everything. But as I say, my preference is always to, to meet with people as best as you can, or it's a conference call if they're not, uh, you know, in the same location that you're located in, you know, uh, get the, the manager of, you know, accounting, you know, pay, payroll or something. And, you know, if they bring a user along, you know, you're based in Toronto and they're based in uh, Arizona somewhere, well, a conference call and still be able to, you know, talk face to face to clear things up. And it allows them to ask questions too, which is important. You know, th- this whole preparation, you know, of good questionnaires and and um, preparing for interviews and workshops, they're all critical because if you don't come across as though you know what you're talking about and why you're doing it and consistent with your definition of why you're asking these questions and what it gives in the end, people will eventually give up and they will talk to each other. You know, hey, Bob, did you have to do that uh, BIA thing? Well, you know, Bob may turn around and goes, yeah, they were all over the place. I had no idea what, what it was they were trying to achieve. You know, so, and that comes down to our lack of preparation. We want to be able to communicate properly and be able to get the right message out there so that we get the right information and message coming back. You know, we need the right responses to our questions. That that information will help build our program, right? So make sure you really think about those two. And I want to jump back to the critical uh, focus on processes. As I said, a lot of people are going to think their their process is critical. And this also relates back to my previous uh, segment where I mentioned the vice president of uh, finance for a government agency who was embarrassed by some of the responses that were provided and what the you know division thought was critical. You want to make sure that All of that isn't aligned. You know, if someone in sales is saying, well, this is a critical process, you know, it's got to be up first. Well, okay, well, sales are important, yes. However, communication with our clients, existing clients, you know, clients that have been around for, you know, years and years, that might be more important than a potential client. 
you know, you, though sales may be able to reschedule workshops, uh, you know, and presentations. Are you going to say that to a customer who's uh, been around for many years? Probably not, you know. So look at the critical focus when people are giving you some of the responses and identify the dependencies too. You know, try and keep it as best as you can in the back of your head saying, oh, somebody mentioned that these guys are a dependency on them. So when you're talking with them, you want to make sure they identify that same dependency, you know, whether it be upstream or downstream. So keep that critical focus because it could turn out that along this big path uh, and, and dependencies that are identified for a business process, it could turn out that the most critical part is this one person who does this one job each day. That's got to be up before anything. If it's not, the whole process just falls down. So keep your eyes and you know focused on what's really critical. And with the the like the vice president said, make sure you have an understanding if you can from executive levels, you know, as to what's important to you guys. You know, we got to make sure that we we get the right information to get what they want. You know, you don't want to be in a position where you're telling them what's important to them and be wrong. You want to be able to say, this is what you said is important. Here's the information that supports it, you know, or doesn't support it and because of these reasons. But just going in with, you know, oh, this is what everybody says is important, you know, willy-nilly, that's not going to help. So keep that critical focus. You know, um, there's less likelihood, you know, of, of people um, – inflating their importance, so to speak, if you're well aware ahead of time of what it is that executives expect, not what executives are saying, you know, is the most critical process, but understand what's critical to them so that when the processes are identified, you, you can map back saying this is, yeah, this is a critical one because it meets this directive by executives. Okay. Another one I've talked about online tools. This one, uh, I've noticed, uh, and I've been in the situation where uh, an online application was purchased because it was something that they thought would make things easier, but it hardly ever got used or implemented because so much focus was on this application. Look at our new fancy tool. Look at all the bells and whistles. Look at everything it's got. You know, look what it can do. The focus went from what information do I need for the BIA program to how can I make this tool look more fabulous, you know, with all these bells and whistles? Sometimes that the tool takes over the process. Be aware of that because it depends on what tool you're using. And it, I'm mostly talking about the online stuff. You know, if you've got an online application, you want it obviously to meet the need that you have, you know, for the list of questions you have, you know, who's getting it and how they can use this information. But at the same time, if you are doing that, be aware the harder or the more fancy you make that application, the harder it's going to be for users to be able to utilize it. So you may end up having to now not just have BIA uh, you know, t- schedules for people to respond to these things, you know, but now you've got to have training sessions. You've got to train these people how to use it. You can't just send them a link saying, you know, fill out all these questions. They're going to say, well, what is this application? What do I do? How do I do this? How do I do that? You know, you've just added more time to yourself. 
Nothing wrong with online applications. Like they, there is a huge amount of benefit to having them, you know. Uh, and I'm not going to say not to. But if you if you get fancy, like I said, you're going to dig yourself into a hole where you're focusing on that application and all its bells and whistles, rather than the basic information that users have and that should be able to answer the, your your questions. You know, the, if you've got too much too much uh, going on in your application, you're going to mess up the users quite a bit and you're not going to get what you need because after a while, like all of us, and I'll admit to this, sometimes if you're using an application that just isn't intuitive you know, or flows, you give up on it. You know, like, well, this is, this is too much. I'll just keep doing it the way I, I was doing it before. So don't let the tool take over the process. Right, you want to keep it keep it easy for everyone to follow, and that's going to come down to results too that come out of that BIA. You know, if 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 it's too tough to use, people may, like I said, give up on using it and just start filling in quick answers that really don't matter, you know, or aren't really reflective of what's being asked. So don't get stuck. I know uh, uh, one place I worked at one place that uh, we purchased a an online application, and the last I had heard, which was four years later after I left, they still hadn't implemented it because they spent we spent so much time on the application itself, looking at it and trying. We were we were testing something that was out of the box, you know, and we were finding things that were wrong with it. Well, that really wasn't our goal. The goal was to buy this application. And then just insert our questions, quick ago, quick overview with all the people that we needed to talk to and, and provide you know, responses to these things. Our goal shouldn't have been to take this out-of-the-box solution, which was supposed to help us, and then start testing it. You know, sure, we could just send the, the, the vendor an email and say, hey, these are some of the bugs that we kind of found, so you, know, you may want to consider it. We, could, we should have been able to work around those bugs. And to my knowledge, I don't think they ever did, uh, which was a shame because the tool would have certainly streamlined things. So sometimes you can get stuck in that quagmire. You know, the tool takes over the process and you don't want that to happen. You want the information you need. And it's time for our second break. So we will uh, be right back in a few minutes and we will talk about some more um, slips and trips with regards to the BIA process. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Fire can destroy your home, your business, and your life in seconds. On Speaking of Fire, with co-hosts Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, we investigate fire, the origin and causes, and provide important information to prevent accidental fires and save your life, loved ones, and your property. We speak to experts about technology, investigative research, and insurance issues with regard to fire. Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs. 
and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Uh, Today we're talking about the uh, trips and slips of uh, the BIA process. And I'm taking this from uh, the appendices in my book, Building Strong Foundations uh, for the BIA. And... We're, we're looking at some of the things that can trip us up. You know, BIA is supposed to be the foundation for all BCM programs. So if we don't do this right, you know, and, and get it right, then that's going to be reflected in the other components as we go down the road. You know, developing contingencies, you know, mapping out our dependencies, you know, identifying what technology and resources we need. You know, and when we get to testing to validate all this stuff, we're going to find it's not going to work. So a BIA is very, very important. Uh, to me, it's the most important part, you know, um, to, to build a foundation. If you don't build a foundation, a house will fall apart and sink into the mud. You know, so, you know, a, a solid foundation for a BCM program means, hopefully, you know, uh, you expect the corporation or the organization to be able to uh, restore and recover and get back up on its feet better you know, than without a program, you know, and if the program is not very strong, it's weak, it starts off weak, then it's like not having a proper program at all. You know, it's just not going to help you. So let's get back to some of these uh, uh, ideas and thoughts uh, about going through some of uh, the, the slips and trips of the BIA. And our next one, we're going to talk about, again, some results, the analysis of results. Now, I've already touched base on some of this before with the timely, you know, getting it back uh, to respondents in a timely manner. This time, it's us doing that, you know, analysis and having a look at the responses that we're getting. You know, are they clear? Are they concise? Do they make sense? Are they consistent? I don't know about you, but I've run into it a few times where someone says they don't have any, uh, as, a, as an example, dependency on another department. Yet when you get to talking about uh, processes, suddenly something comes up about, you know, oh, finance, you know, sends us this uh, report on a weekly basis and we do X, Y, Z with it and send it on to such and such. We got to be able to catch that and say, well, what are you talking about? You said you had no dependencies. So if you have no dependencies, how can you be dependent on this report to do some of this work? Which is correct. You know, you are dependent on this report to be sent to you or you're not. 
you know, you don't get anything from finance. Which is it? You either do or you don't. So we have to be able to come come through that. And and I always get a kick out of this one too. Be careful how you're asking and, and reviewing and analyzing required resources because you can have contract workers, part-time workers, and full-time workers, right? Sometimes they all get double and triple counted because somebody does more than one thing. And I worked at one place. They only had 320, roughly 320 employees. But by the time we finished adding it up, they were up to 700 and something. So you've got to be prepared to do the right analysis and just say, uh, no, why would you need you know, well over double <laughs> the amount of employees in your department during a disaster when you don't even have those in business as uh, usual timeframes? So we have to analyze that. And the other part of analyzing, and I'll just continue with the same example, if finance is sending you know, a report to one uh, you know, marketing department, and in the marketing department, you want to make sure that finance is listed as a dependency that sends them something. You want to make sure that in the finance BIA results, it says that they do send something to the marketing group, right? You've got to link it all together because that'll help identify some of the key business processes and where the gaps are, you know, where they may exist. You know, if finance says, no, we don't send anything to them, well, then I'd be right back to marketing saying, well, what the heck are you guys talking about here? You know, finance says they don't send anything to you. So where are you getting it from? You know, what's happening? It could turn out that no, finance is not sending them something. They're actually going into a system and drawing, you know, drawing down some information that creates a report. Well, there's, that's very different. It's not somebody sitting in finance, opening up an email, attaching a report and sending it, you know, to the marketing. No, it's marketing accessing an application and drawing down information. Two very different things. So we have to be able to do some of that analysis and we have to pose and ask those questions to make sure that we can identify those paths. If we don't, again, you know, we could be looking for applications that, uh, you know, listing applications as being critical when they're not, you know, they, they're not needed right away. They could be much further down, down the, the work stream, you know, instead of right up front. They could just be a repository of information rather than, you know, uh, an application that's actually um, doing some analysis and investigation and spitting out results. So make sure that you do yours, you know, don't just read, read the uh, responses and take them as they are, question them, you know, because um, some, and it, that comes down to people may have responded because of the way you had uh, provided the questions. You know, you may have just sent uh, things through an email or a, you know, a Word document to complete or an Excel file to complete, you know, and there's, or even an online version, but they didn't know how to use it. So they just quickly answer questions that don't provide you what you need. So we got to make sure we do that uh, assessment ourselves as well. It's very important because when we have that, and I touched on this earlier, you want agreement on those final, uh, the, the final results with the management level, you know, the people that provided the responses, make sure that they're happy with everything. Then you're presenting them up uh, another level to the you know, executive level to make sure that they're clear and understanding on what this, uh, you know, what, what the findings are, because 
your presentations need to really be clear on what has been identified as being critical to the organization. You know, so one of the other problems that we have is unclear presentations, especially with findings. However, that's also with getting buy-in. You know, if you've got a presentation to uh, management, you know, after you get agreement from executive levels saying that, yes, we agree a BIA is necessary, go ahead, go do it. You know, you may have to go to the, their designates. You know, they may have identified, you know, 10 different people. Well, you got to meet with those 10 people. And it could be during a, a one meeting presentation saying this is what a BIA is. This is what it does. This is how we're going to do it. You know, this is the time frames we need. And when we've got um, your participation finished, this is what's going to happen next. You know, and then this is how it ties into the overall BCM program. If you're just saying we're doing a BIA because we need to know what you do. Well, that's not going to get you much support. It's not going to really give you clear answers. They're just going to say, oh, great, one of, one of these things again, you know, these quick quick little uh, projects that are being defined by somebody, and they don't give it the attention it needs either. So if your presentations, you know, your communications aren't clear right up front, uh, that will impact your results. And when you get to the executive level and you've got a presentation – You've got to be clear because they've already told you what's important to them. So when you're presenting to them, you want to be able to show them that, hey, yes, everything matches with what you said, or show them, no, it doesn't work the way you want it. This is the way things happen. To do, to get what you want, this is what needs to occur. It could be, you know, we, if you're expecting to have such and such system up and running in 24 hours, well, its current capability is 72 hours. The only way it's going to happen is 24 hours. And they got to know that up front. You know, if this is what you want, you got to pay for it. Or you're going to have to make some compromises. But this is what the BIA says. This is what everyone has agreed to. This is what you have said is important to you. The two are in alignment or the two aren't in alignment. You know, so you've got to be very, very clear on these presentations. I've sat through... Uh, presentations before, uh, and I'm sure many of you have too, where people just kind of go off the rails and they're they're talking about everything under the sun. And you're kind of sitting there going, "What are we talking about again? You know, what what was the focus of this meeting? You know, I've been there, and I guarantee many of you have too. If you're talking about business continuity and disaster recovery and crisis management, things like that, things that are very timely. You know, things that uh, can impact people, can affect people. You know, you want to have something that's very clear, concise, crisp, right to the point. You don't need all the mumbo jumbo, you know, the, the, the special buzzwords. You know, I, I hate hearing buzzwords when people you use things like, you know, low-hanging fruit and, you know, all this other stuff. It's like, no, you identified an opportunity. You know, low-hanging fruit is just filler, filler words, you know, to try and make it sound even bigger than it actually is. You know, I'm, I'm not one for that. I don't like a lot of that stuff. And if you're doing that on the C-level, you know, it's sitting in front of, uh, you know, chief executive officers and presidents and senior vice presidents. I can guarantee they're thinking the same thing. Right? Just get to the point, right? So make sure any presentation you're doing is clear, concise, and straight to the point. You know, don't uh, put reams and reams of supporting data that really somebody on that level just doesn't care. You know, and even on the lower levels, 
you know, they're not, they already know all the details. They want to know what it is you need from them. You know, so you've got to tailor your presentations to your audience. You know, you're going to be less detailed when you get to the top, you know, of the house, you know, with, with executives and get straight to the point and, because they don't want the detail. And when you get, you're at the, uh, further down the, the scale, you know, the users already know the detail. You know, they just want to know what it is they need to get to at the high level. You know, so make sure you put those together, you know, and don't just mess them up. So there's a few uh, topics there, you know, ideas that uh, you can uh, consider and how you can improve your BIAs or maybe you sit there and go, oh, that's why such and such didn't work because I, I did X, Y, Z when I should have done A, B, C. So there, there's some ideas there. And as I say, this is taken in my book, um, you know, BIA uh, uh Business impact, I almost forgot the name there. Business impact analysis, building the foundations for a strong business continuity program. In there, I actually do have sections and questions, you know, that relate to the various components of the BIA and, you know, how to, how to ask them and what, what you're asking. And uh, with definitions saying, you know, when you ask this question, this is what you need to think of. It, it links to such and such. So when you get to, you know, question 12, if they say yes – they have to answer question 27, you know, because the two have to link. So, you know, that's all in there in that book. So we're coming to the close of this week's show. And again, if there are any topics you want us to talk about in detail or particular or events, uh, lessons learned, um, something that you've experienced or something you want, uh, you know, to, to present as a good news story or a bad news story, you know, what well, it's up to you. You know, I'm open to all kinds of uh, subjects. Please feel free. Get in contact with me, uh, info at stone-road.com. And let's see about getting you on the show or getting somebody on the show to help you out and, you know, get the answers that you need. Again, I'm Alex Fullick. I've been your host. Take care, everyone. Until next week, stay prepared. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.